Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. So I'm standing on the crosswalk, what we call the crosswalk, going up to the surf break this week because we've had a little bit of wave action out there in the ocean. Uh, that's right. Yeah, celebrate. Praise God. And uh, more coming. You know, he made the ocean. He made it swell. He made it rise up. You know those psalms. And, uh, and so I'm standing there. My phone all of a sudden goes off. And it's my wife who texts me and goes, are you surfer, surfing or are you flapping your jaws? Like, she's like, are you just standing on the crosswalk talking? So this was up around 65th. So indeed, I'm standing up there laughing with a friend of mine as we we're watching everybody else surf. And I'm like, I don't know if it's good enough to go out yet. I don't know. We talk for an hour, and then by then, it's not good enough to go out. And so, you know, I head south to my another beloved place, uh, a well-known secret spot. And uh, you got that right. And, uh, and so I'm there, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, ah, it's not quite good enough to go out. I get another text. It's my wife. Where are you now looking at it? And... and uh, She's like, you poser, you poser, you know, you need to paddle out in the water. I'm like, well, it's not quite good enough, you know, and then my friend Chad comes up, and we end up standing up there talking for an hour, and, uh, and, and good, and it's like, you know, there is a big difference in admiring something, looking at something, wanting to be involved in something, and actually doing it. And, I mean, it looks good to stand up on the beach and describe what you're looking at and saying, oh, that was a good one, that was a bad Right. That guy doesn't know what he's doing while you're standing up on the beach looking at it, right? Well, the book of Titus is kind of teaching us that in this new church, these new churches on this Mediterranean island of Crete, that Paul is wanting them to indeed not sit on the beach, but be about what the whole idea of being a church for Jesus Christ is all about. And so he has dropped off a friend, literally what he did, dropped off a friend named Titus, to this island, and uh, he has given Titus some explicit instructions on how to help raise up the churches on that island. And what he's going to tell them, and what he's been telling them, this is our second week, one more week before our 19th uh, hoedown here, uh, birthday, it's 19 years for us, and, uh, and so, yeah, whoop, uh, and, you know, he has left him there to help establish the churches and raise them up. So what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see some directions to the churches in Crete about how to actually do this thing. And so now it's really becoming, uh, let's say, challenging for this church because, again, it's one thing to hear the good news, to hear what it's about, and it's another thing to say, I'm expected to do this. And there are some challenges in the text today, actually, and uh, which is good for us, right? We want to read through even the challenging text. So I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into this. We're in the second chapter of the book of Titus, and we'll put up a portion of it, and we'll read it, and we'll jump into this. You have a fill-in on the back side of your handout. If you want to take a look at that and follow along with me, you can fill that in. Uh, that'll just keep you along with me, keeps me on track as well. Father, thank you for some time together to look at your word. Uh, I'm so grateful, Lord, even this week, reading of how you put this thing we call the Bible together. What an amazing thing. It is indeed a miracle. And then to know that there's life in 
and us speaking the words and living by what we read here and expecting you to intervene in our lives and be a part of our lives and our world in, in such a way by reading the way that you have intervened in life before in such a miraculous way. Father, it's exciting. So we ask for you to come, Holy Spirit. Be with us today. Help me. Give me the gift of teaching. Help me in my weakness, Lord. And uh, reveal our hearts and, and, and give us an expectation of good for what this church is about, Lord. And we welcome our friends here, those that are here for the first time, our guests from out of state who are vacationing. And, and Lord, we just, again, thank you for your goodness toward us in Jesus Christ. Come and rule and reign in our midst today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read this first portion of Scripture, and then we'll uh, get to that very first fill-in here. Here we go. You, however, this is Paul. The great Apostle Paul talking to Titus, the one that he has left there in Crete, on the island of Crete. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject ouch, to their husbands. What? I couldn't tell if that was the men going, oh, or if that was the women doing it. Uh, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, Encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters. Oh, uh, uh, in everything. To try to please them. I'm staying on the boardwalk on that one. Up on the walk over. No talk back. Do not talk back to them. And not to steal from them. But to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior. About God our Savior attractive. Lord help me now. Um, (laughs) So let's take this apart a little piece at a time. huh? Uh, older men. Hippocrates and Plato said that the the older men is somewhere around 50, 55 years of age. And so, uh, yeah, that's right. What? You got What does that mean for me? Like I'm dead. No, uh, uh, you know, 55 to 65, being an older person, and uh, that's that was their definition of old. And uh, he's given instructions because, you know, he wants to be able to raise up the younger men. And Now listen, remember what we learned last week? What was it about the Cretans? You ever heard you live like a Cretan? Anybody ever heard that? Younger folks, you heard, have you heard that, that saying? In other words, Epimenides said this like 600 years prior and who's got it in the Bible right now? Who's got their Bible open right now and can read that quote from Epimenides in the last chapter? Right before the end of the first chapter. Where is it? Somebody read it out fast. Whoa. This saying is true. Here's another version. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. And uh, Epimenides said that they were lazy, they were violent, they were drunkards. So that is 
the context and the culture, you got to remember this. Put it in context, right? We go back, we look at the original, there's study methods for all of this that are, that are very important. But what we do is when we read something that goes, oh man, I knew the Bible was just too tough to read. No, you go back to the situation, to what was going on, to whom it was said, and to the area, what was the history, and you get a better view of it. You get a better view of what's going on here. Now see, uh, older men... Were drunkards in Crete. A lot of them were. They had a reputation for drinking too much. As you can see, the older ladies did too. Matter of fact, you bragged if you drank a lot and you could hold your liquor. That was Some things haven't changed. This is Myrtle Beach. And, you know, you brag about that. So that was the culture that it was in. Now, Paul comes and Jesus Christ comes to the island of Crete. And he changes their lives. And Paul tells Titus, he says, you got to go back and tell these Cretans that you can't live like you used to live. Because there's a lot riding on this right now. A lot riding on it. And so for the older man, he gives these instructions. And for the uh, younger men, he does the same. For the older women, well, let me just put this up on the screen too. Here's three things for older men. For those of us that are older to remember, this is the, basically just to sum it up. That is to have faith toward God, love toward all, and endurance to the end. You got this? That just sums up the instructions to us, to we who are older. Faith, trust in our Father, in Christ, love toward all, and that we stick it out to the end. That we leave a testimony of our faith for others in the end. And so, then he talks to older women. Older women, Philo says older women, and they're somewhere around 60 years old. So those of you who are in 50s are going, yes! You know, like I'm still a young lady. And get this, what it, it gives the destruction, uh, instructions to live like a priestess, basically, before the younger women. It's like living in the temple. That's, that's, the, that's the way this passage of scripture is written. Live before the younger women like you lived in the temple every day. As God was your passion. That you loved him and you served him. Live this way before others so that they can see. Remember, Cretans are quite a challenge. But God is doing something wonderful on this island. The Cretans, Cretans they think, even go all the way back to... David's bodyguards. There were some of uh, King David's bodyguards that came from this island. And there are even some think that the Philistines actually came off this island of Crete. And so there's this, uh, there's this whole persona built around these people that are very tough, warrior-like, and do things their own way. And so Paul has dropped off Titus there to say, look, to follow Christ is a whole different, it's a whole different thing than what the Cretans are used to. And so here, I want you to help them learn how to follow Jesus together. Younger women, love your husbands. Because most of them were married by the time they were 14 years old. Put it in the right culture, right context. You're married when you're very young in this culture. And so there are very few single ladies unless they are under 14 years of age. So most of them are married. That's why these instructions are the way they are. If you're thinking, you know, gosh, the Bible doesn't talk about me as a single. Well, that's because there weren't that many after the age of 14 or 15, at least, uh, women. Um, 
Love, be chaste, virtuous, kind. Be subject to their husbands. I know you wish I didn't read that. I wish I didn't read that. And there are, there are things in the Bible that if, you know, that maybe on first reading, on first reading, I too would go, wow, you know, I wish that wasn't in there. But, but wait a minute. If you go over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 22 and 23, you read two verses right behind each other. Where he tells the husbands and wives in the first verse, be subject to one another. And then in the 23rd verse, he says, wives, be subject to your husband. Do you get this? Both be subject to one another. Well, what's going on in Crete is that there is an enormous amount of rebellion and such in the home. And for the Cretans, for them to admire and to look into a home life and to say, I want to hear what you've got to say. They needed to see some stability in that home. And so, you know, book of, book of Ephesians, Paul says, submit yourselves to one another. In the book of Titus, it says, wives, submit to your husband because that is the need on the island of Crete right now. So that others can see that I'm doing something. You see, well, we'll get to it. Never mind. Hold on. I like the tension. I feel it. In the air. Yeah, I understand. You know, the Bible doesn't make you uncomfortable, then you're God. And we know that's not true. So, uh, so your first feeling is this. The church should be about others. You see, this is all about others. This isn't about us. This is about those who are looking into the church on the island of Crete. Paul wants to see this island transformed for Jesus Christ. And so everything that he's telling this church to do, these churches, there were small house churches all throughout. At this time, Crete's like clear cut now. And so, uh, but at this time, it was very beautiful and, and uh, just a, a beautiful place. And, and so there are churches all up in the mountains and all around the island. And there are groups of Christians everywhere. And Paul has this desire and vision to see all of these churches grow up. And to produce more churches and for, for him to see more people come to Christ. And so it's all about others. And that's the, one of the first things that kind of put us off, I think, in coming to Christ. Is most of us come to Jesus because we have a deep need, right? I did. You know, I, had, I was dragging a bag of sin behind my life when Jesus came into it. And I needed to unload it somehow, some way. And, and Jesus came and took it and he... Not only unloaded it, but he imputed to me his righteousness. Not only did he take my unrighteousness, but he gives me his own righteousness, which I'm still not gotten over yet. And uh, he keeps imputing his goodness and his righteousness to my life. And, and, and Paul says, I want the Cretans, I want them to experience that. And I don't want a single Cretan on this island to be put off by the behavior of the church. So that they can't hear the gospel. So if you have to suck it up and to do something that you're not comfortable with in this culture. At least for a time being so they can hear the, the gospel. Then do it. Because it's for others. It's for others that we do this. And um, we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit more in just a minute. Three times in Titus in verses 5 and verses 8 and verses 10. We're told that the reason, the reason for this letter, the reason for living like this is for the sake of others. Here, let's just read this and I think we'll make the point. 
here in uh, verse 4. He says, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Why? Because God's mean? No. So that no one will malign the word of God. That's why. Because in that culture, to do contrary would put people in a position where they wouldn't even listen to you when you started talking to them about the gospel. And so there's a sacrifice to be made. And then he says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And everything, set them an example by doing what is good. And your teaching show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. There it is. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Do you see this? Putting your best foot forward in a particular culture for the sake of the gospel. And then he says again in verses 10, in verse 10 and not to, uh, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Slavery was an normal, everyday thing. There was no emancipation movement at this time. As a matter of fact, if anybody did lead a movement to free the slaves of this era, they would have quickly and totally been wiped off the face of the planet. There was no such movement. And for Paul to have stood up and said, okay, we're leading, we're leading this rebellion to free the slaves now, he would be killed, everybody would be killed. So there's a... There's a, 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 a Version of love that Paul says will get the job done. And uh, slaves, the reason he mentions not stealing is because in this era, the slaves were trusted with money. And they would go pay bills. They would go buy supplies. It was more like indentured servitude during this period of time. And so he's like, you can win your masters over by how you treat them. If you treat them well, then they will listen to the gospel. They'll say, why are you treating me, your master, so well when you're my slave? Well, it's because Christ has come into my life, and and this is why. And then, as you can see in some other books that Paul wrote, the master is no longer the master, but he's the brother. And now they both sit in church together on the island of Crete, and they worship the same God together. Because the subversion and the liberating effect of the love of Christ has entered their lives. and Otherwise, everybody gets killed. <laughs> and they get, they get wiped off the face of the planet. And Paul says, nah, let's don't do anything that upsets people seeing Christ in these churches. Because in these churches is real freedom through Jesus Christ. You get this? And it's all about others. It's all about others. And uh, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that either. I mean, I'm a redneck. Like, uh, you know that, and, uh, you know, my ancestors fought with Francis Marion here in the South in the Revolutionary War, and, you know, like me, if I'm in there, I'm like, hey, let's get a group of people out and take care of it, you know, that kind of thing. But, but Paul's like, no, that's not how it happens. That's not how this happens. This is, a, this is a, a total immersion in the love of Christ because love can change your heart. And the love of Christ, as you well know, If you know Jesus Christ, you know what God has done in your heart. You know the power of forgiveness. You know the miraculous, amazing journey that he has had you on to forgive those who didn't deserve it, yet you did. Or maybe even forgiving yourself. 
over things you couldn't forgive yourself. And suddenly the love of Christ has compelled you to let it go because he loves you so much and he went to the cross for you. The love of Christ can change a heart, a cold heart, a master's heart, and turn it toward Christ and toward his brother. Even though culture says you own that person. So in this context, in this context, the best to do would be to let the love of Christ rule and reign in every home. And you read some of the other Gospels and you'll see that. You'll see where uh, the masters are told to love the slaves that they have. I don't even like saying this. It's just so antithetical, isn't it, to everything we believe when you say master, slave. It just makes it feel yucky. But this was what they had to deal with in their time. And so it's all about others. It's about others. Women, self-controlled, similar. Uh, you know, the younger men is similar to the women, how to ha- behave. And uh, you should lead, give an, lead an example to, all, to everyone. It's context, culture, and character. Matter of fact, there's four C's. This is how I kind of frame this whole second chapter, is that there's context, culture, there's character, and then there's the Cretans. <laughs> You know, in the first three, I mean, the first C is great when you think of the Cretans. But in between, God is after changing them. Changing them. They're Cretans. They're known for not being the greatest people on the face of the planet. They aren't. But God is out to change their character in the midst of a very corrupt and horrible culture that they live in. And the only way the church can flourish and grow is for that to happen. And that is why Paul is appealing to them. Context, culture, character, the Cretans. Let's move on to verse 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. That is... No wonder this is in the middle of this chapter because this is everything. And that is that the church should be about the gospel. It should be about the... Leave that up for just a minute, Rachel, up there. Let's see it. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to who? Cretans. Get it? Cretans. Every one of you. Cretans. Me. Right? How many of you were Cretans at one time? Yeah, you know what? I bet there's still a little bit in there. God's routing it out, right? He's routing it out. I know. He's routing it out. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, even Cretans. Even Cretans. It teaches us, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to ungodly living and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. And that's kind of keep from getting drunk and out of control. Again, because in this culture, getting drunk and holding your liquor and, and being able to drink and drink and drink was both uh, complimentary to women and men. So it was a wild place. And uh, live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this what age? Present age. While we wait for the age to come. For the blessed hope. Blessed hope is just another term for the age to come when Christ returns to earth. We live in the already and the not yet. 
of Christ's coming. Christ has come to earth and he's doing his work in us and he's changing us into the people we are, are meant to be. We're becoming more like we are than we've ever done before, than we've ever had before. Because God sees us as totally clothed in righteousness like him, fully like him. He sees us like that and he's pulling us toward himself, making us like him. And then one day, when the blessed hope comes at the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, we will fully be that. In the meantime, we continue to grow, become more like him again and again. You know, we only have one thing to offer this world. The gospel. That's it. The only thing we have is good news. I say that only in a way of saying that we are the ones with the good news. The church, a church without the gospel is just a gathering. That's all it is. Maybe it's a self-help group. Maybe it's a, you know, a club to help some people in the neighborhood. But with the gospel... It changes Cretans into Christians. To those who love Jesus Christ and who give everything for him. The gospel is at the center of everything we do. And God is not, you know, he's not satisfied to just give you an experience on May 1st, like he did me, 1971, and walk off from Tim Holt. And if that's what you bought into, you got ripped off. If you signed a note and said, I'm done, that's it. You got ripped off because that began your whole journey as God pours himself into you and you become more like him and more like him and more like him till all of a sudden when you're a husband, you treat your wife like Christ treated the church and loved, loves it and gives his life for it. And all of a sudden the wife is loving the husband and serving the husband and they're submitting to one another and, and this new new entity arises right out of the midst of that home and suddenly the neighborhood's looking at you and going, what's what is different about this couple? You ever watch how they do life together? Look at them. They're an example of the coming of the kingdom of God. You're a habitation for where God gets his way. Even as a single person, you're there in school and you're by yourself. And then all of a sudden you start studying for midterms or your exams together. And you begin to, to work together. And people start looking at you and they go, you don't act like a Cretan. You know, you actually want to learn. I can't believe it. And you're studying and, and you're kind and you're helping me. And, and pretty soon all of the arguments and all of the things that would put us off about the gospel begin to fall as we see the other person is a flesh and blood lover of Jesus Christ. And we go, that person's changed. And the gospel's all we have, but it's enough. It's enough. The good news is still the good news. It never gets old, huh, that you can... You know, it's not just your sins being forgiven. That's why we walk off from church. We come down, we fill out a card, we check off the box, and we go, got my fire insurance, I can go home, I can go back and live like a Cretan now. Right? Dude, that is no way is that anywhere near what Jesus has for you. He is out to take your entire life, every square inch of it, every word, every thought, Every relationship you have, every way you do business, the way you think, all of it, God is out to take over. All of it. Any less, and he would not be the king. He's the king. Not Caesar, not this culture, not the context we find ourselves in. 
Christ is king and he has come to set up his kingdom in you. Now, I got to tell you, if you bought into signing a card and that was it for your life, and you go to church out of a sin offering kind of thing, I've been bad this week, so I'll go to church, so I'll feel better. It used to take me three days to feel better after sinning. Um, how long does it take you guys? Like, you know, yeah, a few years. Well, some longer than others. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, but you know what? That's, you, you're selling yourself so short because the gospel is the center of everything. It is the reason this church exists. It's the reason we're in this room this morning. It's the reason that we reach out in love to our neighborhoods. It's the reason we pray. It's the reason we ask God to come even when we give a cold glass of water to someone or we give food to someone or we reach out or we give someone a ride or we go next door and give a a good word to someone who seems to be sad or we stand on the crosswalk and we talk about life for 30 minutes and we talk about how good God has been to us, huh, Chad? (laughs) Amen. And God wants to just take all of our lives. You know, and if I was you, and that wasn't what you were sold, or that wasn't what you were offered, I'd get down front right now and say, Jesus, that's what I want, you know. I want my whole life taken by you. I don't want just a small part. I want you to take it all. All of it. So it's about the gospel. The church has to be about the gospel. We can have all kind of fun and we can do all kind of things, but Paul puts this right in the center of this particular section of Scripture, and that is that God is called all because of the free gift in Jesus Christ to follow him. That is the center of it all. It's about others. It's about the gospel. And lastly... Gosh, I just went right past every one of my notes. I guess that's good. Uh, and number three, number three uh, is this. The church should be about doing good. And uh, look at this passage of Scripture in Titus 2, 14 through 15. The church should be about doing good. We're talking about Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. That's a group, right? A people, the Cretans, a people that are his very own. And watch this, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. What does he mean by don't let anyone despise you? Does he mean walk up and say, don't despise me? Is that what he means? You know what he means? He knows you live like this. You live like this, and that way people won't look at you and go, what a hypocrite. That's despicable. No, you live like this, Titus. You live like this before the folks, and, and let them see how much Christ has affected the way you live. Eager to do what is good. And well, there's a lot of good things going on around here and planned, and you're going to hear about more. And, and, uh, but here's the difference for me is being eager to do it. <laughs> You know, the church should be eager to do good. Not like, well, I guess we ought to reach out to somebody, you know. It's been a while and, yeah, we probably should do some good, (laughs) you know. No, 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 we should be eager to do it. Well, how could this ever get boring for us? How can we not have eyes of like a child on Christmas morning when we were just looking for the opportunity to open the next present, you know. Looking for the person to be able to give something good to. The church should be eager to do that. 
We should have such a list of good things to do that we can't possibly get to all of them. And we should be eager to do it, scrambling to do it. Eager means to be impatient, like I've got to get to it. There's an excitement in you to do it. Eager to do good. I mean, if the church is about others and if the church is about the gospel and the church is about being eager to do good, I think that's a pretty good church. And I think that's the church that Paul wanted for Crete. That's the church he sent Titus to. And that's the church that he wants from Seacoast Vineyard. And I see it here. But you know what? This is our 19th year coming up. We'll finish and um, bordering on our 20th. And we have to be reminded of these things. Because every group or organization or organism can fall into a rut of just self-sustaining after a while. And just go, well, this is good. Let's just enjoy this. No. You know, it's about the gospel. It's about others. And it's about being eager to go and do good for others. And to continually do it. And so we don't want to fall into a rut. We want to be excited and eager to touch others. So that just like Paul told Titus. That he, when he comes back. And he did come back. He came back to the island. And when he, when he comes back. He wanted to be able to take a tour of the island churches. And, and look around the island and go. Wow Titus you've done a great job. You've put elders here and there. And look they're eager to do good. And look at the marriages. And look how they're living within the culture that they're living in. In order to reach others. You've done a good job Titus. The church is beginning to look like Christ. That's our call. And what an exciting call. And it is indeed. A great privilege, honor, and it's such a wonderful thing to be invited by God to journey with him to see others come to know him, isn't it? That's our call. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Teach us to be eager, Lord, and doing good. And let us never, never, though, ever get over the news of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. If you were sold up. This idea that you check off a box. And you go back to your. To your life. And then somewhere in the by and by. You get a harp. And you get to sit on the cloud. If you were sold that. Then I am offering you to trade that in this morning. For the life of Jesus Christ. Who has come to bring his life. And his hope. To every part of you. For the rest of eternity. Here and now. And in the kingdom to come. When he comes back to this earth. And he reestablishes everything the way it should be. And we rule and reign with him. That's his promise. So if that's you and you want to respond this morning. Would you lift your hand and say. Tim that's it. I want the life that Christ has died to offer me. Would you just lift your hand? Let me thank you. Thank you. Don't hesitate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. We want all, every part, Lord, of your plan for our life. Holy Spirit, come right now. Fill us with your presence. Let us experience your good news through our thoughts, but also in our bodies, Lord, as you will quicken us in that age to come like we just read, come in full glory 
and our bodies will be quickened and we will live with you forever. Quicken us even now, Lord. Let us sense your presence. Yes, cleanse us from our sin, but fill us with your hope, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.